But now, as we get into the final segment of today's episode, I want to get into some recent articles from both the New York Times and very briefly from an article, an article from Haaretz, which is an Israeli publication, uh, because these articles are landmark publications that I believe mark the moment where the PR battle, in at least in the U.S., regarding Israel and its actions in Palestine, may have turned decisively against Israel. And I say that because these stories challenge the core narratives surrounding this latest round of fighting between Israel and Palestine, which for bitch, <laughs> which I say for whatever reason, have ginned up a lot more emotion, I'll say. Because this emotion wasn't there during the last round of fighting. This emotion certainly wasn't there when it was just Hamas firing rockets at the Israelis. And it was so... And it certainly didn't warrant hours upon hours upon hours of debate and discussion. Uh, it Maybe it did warrant it, but it, it didn't receive it. But there wasn't this much energy for any one of the previous rounds of fighting between Israel and Palestine. And when you see all the, these, these sacred stories of uh, October the 7th, October the 7th, and it's just this, this unquestionable mythos of what happened on October the 7th, and here we are with these articles discussing October the 7th in a way that is not necessarily conducive towards advancing what Israel says happened, and it's certainly not conducive towards making Israel look any better, because, and, and what's so important about October the 7th from a, a narrative standpoint, because we, we've gone over the, the military and we've gone over the broader, the, the 10,000 foot view of it's a raid that happened in a war and Israel happened to lose this one. You know, we, we, we've gone over this, but from the narrative standpoint, what makes October the 7th so important is it is from the Israeli, the, the, the Israel simp side, it is their inciting incident that they use to justify doing literally anything, anything Israel does, whether it's bombing civilians in, in Gaza, whether it's ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in the West Bank, but well, and this is, and that one's more retroactive, using October the 7th retroactively for justification. Whether it's bombing civilians, claiming to be fighting Hamas while you're just bombing civilians, uh, putting all of Gaza under siege by cutting them off from water, food, electricity, and medical supplies and fuel, trying to force literal millions of people to flee from Gaza uh, and go into neighboring countries. And they have a, they have a plan. There's talk that they want to try to try to get the Palestinians to flee to Europe and because the Europeans have open borders and they'll let them in, you know, it, all this stuff, all of this is excused in the minds of the Israel simp by what happened on October the 7th, because October the 7th was so heinous and so evil and so barbaric and savage and it, it, nothing justifies what happened on October the 7th. October the 7th isn't to be questioned. It isn't to be analyzed. Uh, we're, not, we're not supposed to ask questions about how exactly the Israeli military failed to see this coming and 
we have more evidence now that they knew that this attack that they knew definitively that this attack was coming it wasn't just the egyptians who tipped them off their own intelligence apparently caught wind of the plan a year ahead of time we'll get into that in just a minute but october the 7th has been the linchpin of the israel simp justification the preemptive and slash retroactive justification for everything Israel does preemptive in that things that Israel hasn't done yet are justified in the minds of the Israel simps by October the 7th. It was so terrible. So Hamas, uh, savage barbarians. Yeah. And retroactive as in everything that Israel did to the Palestinians prior to this round of fighting is also justified by October the 7th because Hamas is so can't you see how evil and how savage and barbaric Hamas is can't you see that they they kill children and rape women they're, they're so evil okay it doesn't matter that there were things happening before October the 7th you can see now what Israel's been fighting because of what happened on October the 7th October the 7th is a very important day for the narrative of this war and for the justifications involved but here we have two stories questioning this sacred moment, uh, sacred in a, a, a negative connotation, because it, it, a really bad thing happened, but you're not allowed to question the, the specifics and the details of that bad thing. So sacred in that light, not sacred as in, oh, we revered. No. This sacred story of October the 7th, this article from the New York Times and a little bit from Haaretz, are now calling into question what exactly happened on October the 7th. And we've already gone over uh, some of the, the reports now coming out that Israel may or may not have fired on their own people, which is which is another thing I wanted to get into back in the previous segment because we were talking about the numbers. When we have some concrete numbers about how many people exactly may have been killed by Israel's own, by Israel's own military, if we get those numbers, I'm sure they'll come out eventually if the story is true. If not, well, the numbers stand where they stand. But if it is true that Israel killed its own people, we'll have to we'll have to revise the, the kill count to account for to account for the number of Israelis killed by the Israeli military. Because those have to be disqualified from the Hamas kill count because Hamas didn't kill those people. Hamas's ratio is already one military for every two civilians they killed. How many civilians did Israel's military kill? When you look at those cars that were burnt out, if we assume that all of them were burnt out because they got lit up by an Israeli Apache, well, that's uh, at least 200 people. I won't speculate too much into that. I already speculated on it before. Now we just have to wait for some numbers to come out. But the sacred story that is October the 7th, the linchpin, the epicenter of the Israel, the pro-Israel narrative, the retroactive and preemptive justification for everything that Israel does, October the seventh, is now being called into question. That was in the them firing on their own people was just the first that I've seen. But now we have uh, these articles from New York Times and Haaretz, and it's truly astonishing it's truly incredible and with the speed at which the the israelis are just losing this pr battle like i've, I've talked about how they're not even bothering they're not even defending themselves on the diplomatic front they're they're not even trying 
the the Iranians and the Arabians are just running circles around them, holding joint summits between the Arab and Islamic world, and the Israelis have nothing to say. They're they're not doing anything on the diplomatic front to cover their ass. And, but here they are losing the PR battle as well in record time. It's astonishing to watch because I, I didn't think that we'd get information like this this early on, and certainly not from the professional liars, the pro- the propaganda press. But we ha- starting with Haaretz because it's uh, uh, this is brief. Uh, the information I got from it is brief. Uh, Haaretz says that Israel lied, and I'm I'm sort of shortening it down because I want to get into the New York Times article because I think that's a big one too, but Haaretz basically debunked a lot of these, these you know, uh, again, sacred stories that came out of October the 7th. Oh, the, the 40 beheaded babies. Oh, Hamas was burning babies alive. Oh my God. Hamas gave a forced abortion to a woman, cut a child out of her stomach and stabbed him right in front of her. <laughs> these savage barbarian animals, you know, all these stories. They hung babies. It's all about babies. It's all about babies. Um, but remember, we're not supposed to have babies because of the climate. You know, you're just you know taking a, a, you know another thirty thousand foot step back. You know, with you know since all this focus is on babies, but you know these people really want depopulation. But all these these terrible things that we we're told were happened. Here comes an Israeli publication saying that Israel lied about beheaded babies and lied about burnt babies and that article from Haaretz damn if only I swear if I had the name of that article I would put it up I would give it because it's a good thing to be reading it's a very good read uh but I'll I'll at the very least point you to Jimmy Dore because he he does read over the article uh in real time so I'll point you to Jimmy Dore but this is huge. You have an Israeli publication debunking this myth about beheaded and burned babies on October the 7th. About a baby being a forced abortion where the baby is cut out of the mother's stomach and then killed in front of the mother. And these are stories that have been repeated, that have been fed to us on repeat, I should say by Israeli ministers, the Israeli president, prime, well, prime minister, uh, um, I almost said Naftali Bennett, um, Benjamin Netanyahu. These are stories that have been repeated to us by fucking Biden and people in our own U.S. administration. Uh, I wouldn't even get into the Israel Simpson <laughs> on the internet. Everybody who has taken a stance on the side of Israel has repeated at one point or another these mantras about these atrocities and here comes an Israeli publication of all places saying that this literally didn't happen, that there were atrocities, but that these things specifically didn't happen. No beheaded babies, no burned babies, no forced abortion babies. And they say, and this is again, shocking. This Haaretz article says that only one baby died on October the 7th as a direct result of the Hamas attack. One. And it's like, are you are you serious? Now, before I move on to the New York Times article, right? Before I move on to the New York Times article, just that bit of information alone that we now have access to 
disqualifies any excuse for supporting Israel. Because now we can say definitively that Israel lied. Israel lied to us, their chief backer and financial supporter, to get money and weapons out of us, to get troop movements out of us, because we moved two carrier battle groups over into this place to defend them. They lied to get money, weapons, and support, and sympathy from us. They lied to get those things. They lied about beheaded babies. They lied about burned babies. They lied about the all these atrocities that we were told Hamas committed. All these atrocities which turned October the 7th into this, this uh, again, this sacred story that you're not allowed to question. It, it was elevated from another raid in a war, a, a, a battle that Israel lost this time around. It was elevated from that to this moral indemnity on, on mankind that this was ever allowed to happen. And therefore, uh, we have to be able to, we have to be given a blank check. We have to give Israel a blank check to let them wipe Hamas off the face of the earth. That's what this, they lied to us to get that. They do not deserve a dime from us anymore. You're going to lie to us to get this support? It's not like they had to lie either. Because <laughs> Lord knows the, the day these damn Republicans <laughs> would have given them the money anyway. Lord knows that these neocons were itching for a war anyway. You could have you could have asked for all that off the merits of you being attacked and you being our ally. I still would have had an issue with it anyway because I don't I don't consent to having the alliance. But I'm one guy. You know the U.S. government would have given you the money and the weapons anyway, even after we exhausted ourselves with Ukraine. But you had the audacity to lie to us about this. You don't deserve anything from me anymore. You didn't deserve shit for me to begin with, but <laughs> you don't deserve anything anymore. I owe you nothing. And from this moment onwards, if we continue to back and support Israel, we are chumps. We are chumps who enjoy being abused because that's abuse to lie to someone and then to try to blackmail them into giving you money and, and, and things that you want and need by saying, oh, I, I, my circumstances are so bad. It, it's like those people who stand on the freeway uh, talking about how they're, 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 they're homeless, the fake homeless, mind you. There are homeless people, but I'm talking about the fake people who, who literally have cars and they drive home after they collect your money. And they have those signs and there's always two or three of them on the, on the, on the freeway. There's never just one of them asking for money. You know, it's always, oh, my, my, my family, I have three kids and they, they walk with the limp to try to get the sympathy. And, and then when the day is over, they walk a couple blocks down to their car and they drive off home. That's what this is like. That's what this is like. And if we continue to give Israel aid after they lied to us, because again, they didn't need to lie. They would have gotten this shit anyway, and we'd all just be pissed anyway. 
but they lied. They deserve to be cut off from everything now. Military support, military cooperation deal, financial support, they deserve to be cut off from all of it. At least that's what a country who had some integrity and some self-respect would do. Will the Israel simps do that? No, not until the bitter end when Israel is exposed for the apartheid state that it is in an undeniable manner. Not until October the 7th is broken down painstakingly detail by detail will people come around to something close to the position I have. But man, isn't that just so disrespectful? Lying to us and then expecting us to give you money and weapons. Get away from me. But that's just off the information we got from Haaretz, the Israeli publication. Again, which is shocking. Uh, shocking is my favorite word for this episode. It's the word of the day. Word of the week, I suppose. Shocking. But that is just the tip of this iceberg. Because we also have this New York Times article, and I'm going to go over this one a little bit more uh, extensively. This New York Times article saying, Israel knew Hamas's attack plan more than a year ago. That's the title. Which is mind-blowing. Like beyond shocking, that's mind blowing. They they lead with that. Israel knew Hamas's attack plan more than a year ago. And the first paragraph of this article, right underneath the title of the article, says, "Quote: Israeli officials obtained Hamas's battle plan for the October the seventh uh, terrorist attack more than a year before it happened. Documents, emails, and interviews show." But Israeli military and intelligence officials dismissed the plan as aspirational, considering it too difficult for Hamas to carry out, end quote. Wow. Wow. So you've lied to us to get weapons and money after deliberately being derelict... uh, what what do you, what do you even call that dereliction of duty? Uh, uh, to the highest degree, deliberate ignorance. What do you what what do you call what do you call knowing? Because I've been on their ass. I've been on Israel's ass about being tipped off from the by the Egyptian government that this was going to pop off, and you still not doing anything. You have a wall around them. You're monitoring these people constantly, at least in the Gaza Strip, which is where the attack emanated from. You're watching these people constantly. Nothing gets past you. You have the vaunted, most advanced and intelligent intelligence service on the face of the earth, and you don't see these people coming? You don't see dudes loading up into pickup trucks and just driving up to the boat? You don't see that? I've been on Israel's ass about that since day one, right? Because that enough was sketchy to me. But now we come to find that not only did the Egyptians tell you this is going to happen, but we have the added layer of you knowing what the battle plan was going to be. And the Egyptians said, hey, hey, the Hamas might be attacking you sometime soon. Maybe you should be on high alert. 
so you know what the battle plan is and you're tipped off that this that this attack might happen sometime soon you know what the battle plan is going to be there should have been no reason for october the 7th to happen in any way shape or form close to what actually transpired on that day hamas should never have been able to get past the wall and yet in spite of knowing what the battle plan was in spite of knowing that the attack was coming uh, sooner rather than later because you got tipped off by the egyptians and in spite of co- monitoring these people 24 7 you failed and uh, the october the 7th attack was allowed to happen now going now uh, even if we sort of dismiss some of the new knowledge we're, we're getting coming out about october the 7th and take it at the face value that the Israel simps would like us to take it at as this atrocity on mankind. You knew the battle plan and you were alerted beforehand that the attack was coming by Egypt. You are a failure. October the 7th at that point is every bit as much your fault that it is Hamas. You knew it was going to come. You knew you had an idea of when it was going to come because the Egyptians the Egyptians tipped you off. You knew what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and you got an idea of when it was going to happen. You should have been on high alert. You, you're, you have all these cameras and all these drones monitoring these people. Everything they do, you're monitoring and spying on them, and you didn't see this coming. You are a failure. Is The Israeli government, as far as I was concerned, and certainly as far as I'm concerned now, is every bit as culpable in October the 7th, as Hamas was. They knew the battle plan, like, come on. And again, when are the Israel simps gonna hold Israel accountable? Like, we we could talk about, as a matter of fact, we already did talk about how the Palestine simps can't hold Hamas accountable for shit. They can't even own up to the idea that calling for genocide would be harassment and bullying. Hello. These are the heads of the, our Ivy League colleges. We are... <laughs> we know... We know that none of these people are going to hold their sides accountable. The Palestine simps aren't going to hold Hamas accountable. The Israel simps aren't going to hold the Israeli government accountable. But there needs to be accountability. You knew what the battle plan was a year ahead of time. And you were tipped off by the Egyptian government before the attack actually commenced that something was going to happen. You're the problem. (laughs) It's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. And and it's equally as mind-blowing and equally as frustrating, the lack of accountability. Because no one simping for Israel is going to say, hey, you knew about this. You, you knew about this. You knew how it was going to go. Are you going to hold them accountable? No. The only person I know who's even talking about accountability for the Israeli government is, is Jimmy Dore and Jackson Hinkle. But they're not Israel simps. They're Palestine simps. It's oh my goodness, bro. Let me let me continue with this article. It's brief, so I, we can get over it pretty quickly. But wow, dude. Uh, 
the article then goes on to say, quote, the approximately 40 page document, and they're talking about the battle plan, the approximately 40 page document, which the Israeli authorities codenamed Jericho Wall. They, they So the, the name given to the battle plan is Jericho Wall. Uh, and this is the same exact plan that was carried out during Operation Al-Aqsa Flood, which is the name that Hamas gave to the attack on Israel. So when I say Jericho Wall, think the attack on October the 7th, think Al-Aqsa Flood, right? It's all the same thing. This is just the name that the Israelis gave to the battle plan a year ahead of the actual attack. 40 pages. But yeah, again, quote, the approximately 40-page document, which the Israeli authorities codenamed Jericho Wall, outlined point by point exactly the kind of devastating invasion that led to the deaths of about 1,200 people. The translated document, which was reviewed by the New York Times, did not set a date for the attack, which is irrelevant because they were tipped off by the Egyptians' prior to this attack anyway the the uh, the translated document did not re- uh, the translated document which was reviewed by the new york times did not set a date for the attack but described a methodical assault designed to overwhelm the fortifications around the gaza strip take over israeli cities and storm key military bases including a division headquarters which is exactly what happened on october the 7th the article continues Hamas followed the blueprint with shocking precision. The document called for a barrage of rockets at the outset of the attack, drones to knock out the security cameras, and automated machine guns along the borders, and gunmen to pour into Israel en masse in paragliders and motorcycles and on foot and in pickup trucks, all of which happened on October 7th. You, you know that meme where it's uh it's soldier boy talking about how Drake copied him and he and he's in the he's in the studio with fucking Charlemagne and he goes he copied my whole fucking flow word for word bar for bar you, you know that meme that's literally word for word bar for bar point by point Hamas followed the attack plan point by point. And you let this happen. You let this happen. The, the, no, no, you let this happen. It's, there's no excuse for this. There's no excusing this. There's no excusing this. Israel, let this happen. Because there's, there's no way you know what the battle plan is and you're tipped off that the battle is about to commence ahead of time by the Egyptians. There's no way. There's no way that you don't put two and two together. Oh, it's too ambitious for them. Firing off rockets and then storming the border with paragliders and motorcycles? Using drones to knock out cameras? Using rock you already know what they have rockets. They bombard you with rockets all the fucking time. 
You already know they have access to drones. You already know that they can drive a motorcycle and a pickup truck. That's all they have in Gaza. What are you talking about, too ambitious? Oh my goodness, bro. The article also says, quote, the plan also included details about the location and size of the Israeli military forces, communication hubs, and other sensitive information, raising questions about how Hamas gathered its intelligence and whether there were leaks inside the Israeli security establishment. So Hamas has better intelligence gathering than Mossad because they figured all this out about you, but you couldn't figure out they were about to attack you in spite of monitoring them 24-7? The article ends saying that, quote, the document circulated widely among Israeli military and intelligence leaders, but experts, experts, determined that an attack of that scale and ambition was beyond Hamas's capabilities, according to documents and officials. It is unclear whether Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu or other top political leaders saw the document as well, end quote. Again, wow. Wow. And no one's going to hold them accountable. No one in our government None of these talking heads who've sided with Israel. No one. The Israelis might, but that's because they already had issues with Netanyahu to begin with. They were protesting the streets about his, his judicial reforms just prior to the outbreak of this war. And all in all, with, with this, with all this information coming out about how October the 7th is exact isn't exactly what we were told it was. And now this information coming out that, oh, they knew what the plan, the battle plan was a year ahead of time. I just can't help but think back to what the Tate brothers said, specifically Andrew Tate, at the very beginning of this conflict. Because he, like myself, questioned how exactly Mozad dropped the ball here. Something that no one else seems very interested in doing even now, months into the conflict, with Israel clearly being on the ascendancy here, well, at least at least on the, the quote-unquote battlefield, because not much of a battlefield when you're just bombing civilians, but way back at the beginning, Andrew Tate brought up how regimes who want to consolidate power over their people, which if you're looking at Benjamin Netanyahu that way, who was in a bit of a political crisis because he was, there was a lot of opposition to his uh, attempted judicial reforms. If you're looking, if you are the regime and you're looking to gain control over your people, you will create insecurity. You will create an unsafe environment so that you can justify giving yourself more power to make it quote-unquote, safe again. By creating an unsafe environment, you can get people to turn to you to make it safe again, and you can simply take more power in the process. And the, the key thing being there, 
to enable the security environment to become unsafe enough to justify needing more power to make it safe again. They knew the battle plan. They were tipped off by the Egyptians. They still didn't stop this. So we know that the intelligence service knew about this attack. It's not a matter of how did you drop the ball? You knew about the attack. You knew what the battle plan was. You were tipped off by the Egyptian government ahead of time that this attack was coming. So it's not like, oh, it caught you by surprise. No, you were told that an attack was coming and you had the battle plan. You chose not to respond. You chose not to preempt this. You chose to let this happen. You chose to let the security environment become unsafe. Now, for what reasons exactly? I can't assert that. I can't, I can't, I cannot assert that. What exactly they allowed this to happen for, I don't know. But what I can assert is that with that much information at your disposal, you allowed this to happen. This isn't an accident. This isn't a, uh, this isn't even a tragedy. This is a crime because a tragedy is a bad thing that happens from everyone doing what they logically should have been doing. And it just ends badly for everybody. That's a tragedy. When everybody does what they logically should have done and how they, when everybody responds to a situation, how they logically should, and it just creates a bad thing. That's a tragedy. There is no logic behind having Hamas's battle plan and not acting on it. There is no logic. There's no recourse behind being tipped off that an attack is gonna come from the Egyptian government and still not taking any preparations. That's not reacting how you would logically react to a situation. That's you deliberately going out of your way to make yourself abnormally vulnerable to these to an attack like this that and considering how much that we now know that the israeli government and mozad and the idf knew prior to this attack considering how much we now know that they knew that they chose not to act on this is a crime not a tragedy it's a crime not a tragedy so when we talk about how terrible October the 7th was, when we talk about the savagery and the barbarity and how all, all these people died because of Hamas, well, now we can't just say it was Hamas anymore. Granted, if you're on this podcast, you weren't saying that anyway. <laughs> but we, you can't just blame it on Hamas anymore. Because the Israeli government allowed this to happen, which means that they are culpable and accountable for everybody who died. Every Israeli who died on October the 7th, the Israeli government is responsible for. They are accomplices to the crime. They stood by and watched as Hamas came up to the border, overcame the border, and then started slaughtering their own civilians, their own people. 
That is a crime, not a tragedy. So when we talk about October the 7th as this terrible day and the, the worst day for the Jews since the Holocaust, we also have, we also have to factor in that the Israeli government, the government of the Jewish state was culpable in the wor- in making that worst day since the Holocaust possible. And for a lot of people, that's going to be one hell of a bitter pill to swallow. But that, my lovely listeners, is all I have got for you today. I do hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast and my geopolitical podcast. My lovely listeners, the world is changing. Narratives are being questioned. Multipolar world is expanding. The Belt and Road is being abandoned in some places and is expanding in other places. 2024 is going to be a wild ride, folks. We're almost there. We're not there yet, but it's going to be very wild. But no matter how the world changes, no matter what happens, we will have fun watching that change together. Now, I've been your host, Haishan Wade. And you've been listening to This Week in Geopolitics. So till we meet again next Monday, servus. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.